Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 48 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, and H is a little bit, you're a little bit meh this morning, aren't you? I oh, just, it's, yeah, I think I'm slightly hanging. Yeah. I think I'm hanging just slightly. You've picked the up a bit since you've, uh, since you brushed off that journalist. He's already brushed <laughs> off a journalist, folks, and it's <laughs> only brushed. three minutes past ten. <laughs> uh, um, well, you always feel a bit better after that. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you arrange to get them to ring just so you can tell them to go away? <laughs> No comment. Oh man, it used to be murder in the eighties with journalists. I mean, they was, was it? They were so horrible. Yeah, yeah, just real. I mean, journalists are lovely now, um, but God, it was really fashionable to be horrible and snidey, and you, you know, uh, in the eighties. And so they used to, you know, the New Musical Express and all those sorts of people, but they would just slag everything off. And then they would pick one thing that they decided was great, you know, like the Smiths, and just praise it to the sky forever. And everybody else was shit. Mm. Um, and um, when the Europeans released their live album, I think I must have said this, that our, our review was uh, about five words long. That was it. They reviewed it in the NME and it just said... This album sounds like a coal scuttle full of vomit. <laughs> Full stop. That was it. That was our review. Uh, so journalism has improved slightly since then. I'm sure, I'm sure you have mentioned that, and I'm sure when you did I must have said, why coal scuttle? Yeah. Of, well, of, of, of all the repositories. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, why coal scuttle? Yeah, a coal scuttle full of vomit. I suppose they were trying to imply that it was sort of tinny. I don't know. Right, that's up there with the Spinal Tap line, isn't it? Where they were talk- they went through the re- they go through the reviews in Spinal Tap and the two word review of Shark Sandwich, which was just shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Always. So at least you got five words. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny they're the ones you remember forever. You know, any any anything that was uh, that praised you, you is gone as, as it gone. comes off the page. But but the absolute slaggings you you live with, <laughs> they're worth putting up on the wall, aren't they? It's not a t-shirt. Yeah, it is. Carl Scuttle full of vomit on the front, overworked guff on the back. And that's Oh, that still remains one of the. There's so many. We ended up with another couple last week. It's just we 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 literally pop them out every week. Somebody someone emailed over the weekend and said, "What was it? Um, oh God, what was it? I'd, I'd asked for for my birthday socks, uh, socks, oh. fireworks, and a can of beans." So they said that'd be a good shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we keep we keep on doing it. We keep on doing it. Right. Anyway, back to 1989. We're going to do our probably our last little um, chat through with regard to season's end because so far, so far in this year, you've joined the band. You've you've had a little bit of a loving getting to know each other. You've written some songs or finished off writing an album. You've recorded an album. You've done some promo videos. And you're just about to go out and start playing some live shows and we're still in the same year. So we'll pick up with the live bits, which means I've got to start by asking, before we get to the tour, because the tour starts in October time, I've got to ask about the Crooked Billet. So that's the... That's the pub near Hook End. I've actually been to look at it, actually. I was very close one day and I went to have a quick look. And it's tiny, isn't it? 
Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, it's, t- it's tiny and it's up a little lane. And um, when Mark announced that he'd agreed to do a show there and wouldn't it be great, I, I could have... I think that was probably the first time I would have liked to strangle him. Um, <laughs> of course, it's never happened since. Um, <laughs> and... Um, uh, I, I was just absolutely messing my pants at the thought of it because um, I, I didn't feel I was ready. Um, I didn't see how we could rehearse. Um, I didn't know what I would do, um, you know, just everything. And then we ended up rehearsing in the control room at Hookan Manor trying to run through stuff and, and I was trying to cram all the... The, the old songs, because they wanted to do a few old songs. They wanted, I think they wanted to do... Um, well, they wanted to do a few old songs and they let me choose them. And, and so I, 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 I think I said, let's, let's have a go at Warm White Circles. They're quite like that. But, of course, I didn't know any of the words at this stage. So I was busy cramming and shitting myself at the same time at the thought of doing it. And then that it didn't help when the manager arrived on the gig day and said you couldn't actually get into the street that the pub was on for people. Um, and they were just people everywhere. They could, couldn't get into the building. And they were hanging in through open windows. There was, you know, there was sort of like a, a crowd around the pub as well as inside. And we had to, we had to climb in through the window to go on stage in inverted commas because there wasn't a stage to go on floor go on floor um were you by a fruit machine please tell me you were by a fruit machine <laughs> i was by a fan nose to nose i was by the front row um when i say nose to nose i mean nose to nipple because they were all much taller than me so the front row is towering over me and i thought well if anybody is in the frame of mind to do so there's nothing to stop them reaching it reaching out putting their hands around my neck and throttling me <laughs> at any point so it was terrifying um in prospect at least um but in in reality on the night when we actually did it it was it was great fun and uh, went down really well it was a great atmosphere the joint was packed and jumping and uh, we all went back to the manor, the big manor house afterwards uh, in a very, very good frame of mind, you know, mm. tripping out really on, on, on what fun it had been, which kind of bode really well going forward for the future. Um, so that and was you great. obviously you obviously played some of the new stuff. You obviously played some of the Season's End uh, material. We must have done, yeah. Yeah, but that must have been... That must have been a thing because writing and recording is one thing, but then to get it ready to play it live, um, where you would normally, you know, have given yourself a reasonable amount of rehearsal time before you took it out on the on the road on new material. Um, I mean, the band are fairly used to playing some of the old stuff, so you you get the melody and you get the words, but the band, you know, will know how to play. Warm wet circles. You would have thought. Mm, yeah, yeah, effortlessly because they played um, it a million times. Yeah, um, but the other things, um, because realistically in a studio you don't. It's not like you play it like you play it live, do you? You might put a guide track down, but then it's all into overdubs and yeah, you're messing about with it and individual, you know, even sections of it rather than the whole thing. Yeah, but in those days the music was simpler. Season's End is very simple musically for the most part. Um, so it, 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 we, had, we had sort of already rehearsed it up um, as we were writing it in a way. It wasn't nearly as complex as the stuff we do these days. So, I mean, for instance, rehearsing the levers to take that out on the road was weeks and weeks of work because it, it's just incredibly complex. It's got yeah. all the, you know, it's sequenced at the front and there's all these different sounds and textures coming in. So that, that I mean, there's no way we could have just knocked that together and played that at the Crooked Billet. We would have needed a few months. 
um, and lots of computers and laptops and Christ knows what. Um, but but season then was actually very straightforward musically, so it wasn't so bad. Mm. Still a still a, a big old thing though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. it is. It is. But, I can't remember anything <laughs> in terms of. You'll be surprised to learn. Um, in terms of what we actually performed that night, I assume we knocked through hooks in you and all of that. I don't yeah. know. You don't know. If anybody out there and knows what you played, <laughs> let, let us know. We'd be interested to know. <laughs> and the thing is, at least not only, I mean, at least with the old material, it's not like it's wordy or anything, is it? You know, that'll, that'll have been that'll have been a five minute job to learn the lyrics. No, no, clutching in straws, uh, clutching in straws, clutching, clutching in at straws. straws, not even clutching at straws, uh, warm white circles yeah. was, um, you know, well wordy. But as I've said before, the weather was amazing. I was flouncing around in a big shirt with my <laughs> Walkman and lying on the lawn just listening. Life was great. Life was great, yeah. I'm just being occasionally interrupted by um, young girls giving me pims. Yeah. It was it was awful. Uh, yes, no, I can tell. I can tell. I can tell just by the look on your face. If I'm being honest, it was just but awful. Um, you can't see this, folks. But that's a that's a, a, a face that really struggled through it. Um, but anyway, so back round October. Oh, October comes round, um, yeah. and we're about to go out on the road. You're about to go out on the road, mm. and it's a it's a it's it's good sized venues. It's a it's a proper rock and roll tour. It was, and I had to decide what to wear on stage. And uh, I went through. I was going through a bit of a Paul Smith phase, um, so I bought a load of black linen Paul Paul Smith shirts, and I think I had some white white one, white cotton ones as well. And we had the Seasons End Snowflake logo uh, embroidered into the shirts. Um, you know, not a patch stuck on, but physically embroidered in. Um, and I'd got some little Paul Smith linen trousers to go with them. So I was wearing sort of linen from head to toe. Uh, and um, what else? And we got, um, we, well, we came to go away on tour and we flew to Lyon. Um, the first show was in Besançon, I think. And I think there might even have been two nights there. Could, could be wrong about that. But um, the crew had gone already on their bus and a couple of trucks had gone. And our manager, bless him, had had this great idea, um, which, which he didn't learn from, to be honest, thinking back. But he'd had this great idea, which was to get this, this bloke who happened to be the... Um, brother of Tim Brickus, our um, our tour manager at the time. Or was he stage manager? Stage manager. Paul Lewis was the tour manager. So Timmy Brickus, our production manager, had a had a, a younger brother. Um, and <laughs> our manager, John, had, had, had recruited him to drive a minibus to Lyon from from England that would meet us at the at Leon Airport when we when we landed, so we fly to Leon. We get we we get into Leon Airport, and this this geezer with the bus is supposed to be waiting for us. He's nowhere to be seen. Um, I think that was all pre mobile phones, so you couldn't contact him to say where where the f in hell are you. Um, and he just didn't show up. And we sat in Leon Airport for, well, in my memory, it seemed like hours and hours and hours. It was definitely over an hour, but it, it might have been three or four. I can't remember anymore. We, I just remember we were in Leon Airport all day. And the plan had been for him to pick us up, drive us to Besançon. We were going to have, uh, we were going to have a, a bite to eat. And then we were going to rehearse, knock through a few things for the show in Besançon the day after. And we just sat in the airport for hours. And eventually he turned up and he'd crashed the bus. So he turned up and all the, all this, the side of this minibus was stoved in. You couldn't get the door open. 
So, uh, so we managed to get in the bus and then drive to Besançon. We turned up just as the ovens were going back in the truck because for some <laughs> reason the um, the cater the the catering stuff had to go back in the truck. I don't know who'd made that decision, but they had. Um, so all the crew had had a hearty meal and were feeling good about life. We had we had been up. I don't think I'd eaten. If I'd had breakfast, I hadn't eaten since breakfast. I might not have had breakfast either. And I just sat all day um, <clears throat> in various modes of transport. We arrived at Besançon to be told that, no, we couldn't eat because the ovens had come back in the truck. And did we want to rehearse? And I just kicked off. I thought, this is fucking dreadful. I said, you know, we're the band. You know, um, what do you mean we can't eat? Um, the gig wasn't near near anywhere where we could even get a sandwich or anything. All the restaurants and cafes were shut. I think we got there about half past eight at night and everything was closed. Um, I was hallucinating with hunger by that point. And so I kicked off a bit and uh, I th- I said, you know what, I've been in all these iffy little bands. I said, and in terms of professionalism and the general state of togetherness, it pisses all over this. I thought you were some kind of big-time outfit. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I I had to go because I was hungry and miserable. So uh, that was that. I'd managed to throw a singer's hissy fit before I'd ever really done a proper gig. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. I mean, at least when you were bleeding to death on the boat, somebody bought you a sandwich. I mean, grief, it's, you know, it's not. <laughs> and, and then we did about three shows. <laughs> and I think the third show was Marseille. We played in Marseille. I'll tell you, because I'm looking at the back of a of the... We were just trying to work out the word. The word is programme. We're looking at the back of a programme. Right. Uh, actually, I don't think it gives you all the European dates because it gives you the first one. And then Bizarre it gives song, you... Was it? Yeah, it gives you... Oh, I, and then it gives you Leon after that, right. possibly. Yeah, and then, that would make sense geographically. Um, yeah, um, and then one more in France, but when my pronunciation will be awful. V-I-T-R-O-L-L-E-S by the looks of things. Vitrol. Yeah. Well, maybe that was Vitrol. But it, before we left France, our tour manager, Paul Lewis, uh, left all of my stage clothes in a bin liner in the gig. <laughs> so all these Paul Smith suits <laughs> cost a fucking fortune. <laughs> I'd been specially embroidered. We never <laughs> saw again after about three shows. <laughs> I wasn't overjoyed about that. Either, <laughs> no, I bet honest. you weren't. I bet you weren't. <laughs> I mean, particularly bearing in mind, you know, how careful you are with your possessions. <laughs> that must have really rankled. Um, but <laughs> now, Paul, Paul, Paul was Lewis. the guy that was he was support he's sporting the goatee at that point in time, wasn't he? It looked a little bit like who was the character in Rent a Ghost? <laughs> yeah, he kind of had the um, um, what's he called? Oh shit! Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. So early in the morning. Um, <laughs> oh, she moved the dishes first. What was that? What was that? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, it's it's descended into chaos already. Oh, Frank Zappa. He, Frank he Zappa. Yes, he, yes, the, he did have a look he, at Frank Zappa. About he had him. the Frank Zappa uh, beard and moustache. Yeah. Um, but he he kind of looked like some disturbed cowboy. You know, um, rather than somebody who disturbed a cowboy. <laughs> well, he looked like that <laughs> as well. <laughs> he looked like someone who'd been disturbed by a cowboy whilst disturbing a cowboy. Um, and um, allegedly, he was, he, he's a great bloke, Paul, but but he's not the best tour manager we ever had. Eh? He 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 had flair, mm. but he would occasionally drop colossal clangers and he would have he would do things that involve me either lose losing things i know i'm capable of that on my own um or 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 being subject to intense pain for long periods of time like when he decided to drive 
from Berlin to Karlsruhe after the show, after I'd sprained my ankle, <laughs> etc. Yes, but at least you broke the back of the journey. <laughs> exactly. Broke yes. the back of the journey. <laughs> Bro- broke my spirit for about the best part of a year as well. Mm. All this is teeing up is the fact that French is just an absolute legend. Frenchy is an absolute legend and has a, a a happy knack for picking up the things that drop from me as I walk down the street <laughs> and and retaining them. Um, yeah, there's a picture somewhere that somebody ought to write at the drawer of just you wandering along with just bits just dropping out of pockets and. Frenchie's also very good at taking the rap when I when I, when I stir up uh, when I stir up Middle Eastern people at dead of night in the in the suburbs of of, of German cities, uh, and and uh, you know he, he he's, he's occasionally risked a stabbing on my behalf. He is an absolute legend, and can be forgiven for being occasionally just a little dour. Yeah, take out the occasionally. <laughs> That wasn't me, folks. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so so we. What I remember about that that seasons end tour was me thinking, "This is it now. This is all going to be proper mm. and pro. I'm with the big boys," and then sort of finding the opposite from day one, from the get go, it was a bloody shambles. <laughs> um, so that was that was interesting. And of course, though that first month, you 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 were doing just a few gigs in each country, so that you you would have you needed that to be fairly on point, didn't you? I mean, it's not like you know when you're in the UK and it's 150 miles between gigs, you've got a little, I guess there's probably a little bit of you know sort of tolerance in that. But if you're going from you know if you're in France today, Italy tomorrow, and Switzerland the day after, it's kind of got to run well, hasn't it? You don't want to be in a minibus with a smashed inside and a door that won't open. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? That's what I'm kind that, of trying to say. That was one say. of the points I was trying to make. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you made them with, with, with feeling. <laughs> well, I've always been passionate. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So you do you do a you do a, a month around Europe, and you 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 tiptoe around quite a few countries actually by the looks of things. Um, which uh, you know you, 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 there's, there's Germany, there's Switzerland, there's Italy, there's France. Um, we've got a bit of Belgium, we've got a bit of bit of Denmark, a bit of Luxembourg, back to a bit of Germany, um, and then you then you land you land back in the UK for for. Um, um, a, a full-on month in December, and there's there's some really nice venues in there. You know, City Hall, Barrowlands, Colston Hall. Um, you've you've got St George's Hall. You've got Sheffield City Hall, uh, Royal Court in Liverpool, Polo in Manchester. Um, you know, mm. and finishing off at Hammersmith Odeon. Mm. No, they were. It was a good tour, and then we after that, I think we went over to America and carried on and did America and Canada. That's, I think that was the. I think that was the tour where I had the the crowd round my bed in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, dear Lord. <laughs> and of course, also, that's the tour with the Leicester de Montfort gig that made its way onto the to the well. It made its way onto the telly, didn't it? It was a it was a Channel Four program, Rock Steady, I Rock, believe. It was yeah, called. it was Rock Steady. That's it. Uh, um, yeah, I, don't, I didn't think it was very good, to be honest. I, I just thought that um, it was overlit, you know, it was so bright. I, I, I don't know if it was technology back then that the cameras just couldn't cope with rock and roll light levels too well, but it was, or whether it was just the director who was more concerned about his white balance than mm. he was about it having a feeling. Mm. Um and it it all seemed very like we were performing in a, a a refectory, you know, lit by fluorescent lights rather than a rock and roll show. So well, that was a bit disappointing, as far as I can remember. Obviously, I haven't seen it since because I don't look at any of it. Because no. in fact, I'm lying. I look. I tell you what, I look at. I look at the space every now and again from the Albert Hall because I was so right. proud of that and I, I really think 
Tim uh, Tim Sidwell really nailed filming mm. the Albert Hall. Very proud of that. But it's the only thing I ever look at. Mm. Well, that that I suppose the thing about the rock steady thing though that goes out what nine o'clock at night on a on a you know that's it's kind of as probably as mainstream as music gets at that point. It was yeah at the time. Oh no, it was a big high profile thing. <sighs> mm. But you just were a bit meh about the actual. Yeah, it could have been so much better. Was the um, because I didn't that's the I didn't see. Uh, a show on that tour. The first time I ever saw the band live was on the Season Greetings tour, which would have been a year later. So it was the Christmas gigs, probably, I guess, in 1990. Um, and that was the first time I ever I ever saw you play. But um, I remember the the Leicester show, having watched that video, um, the there was the drape that dropped at the beginning. Was that something? Was that a part of all the shows or was that just for that night? I think it was something we did um, on on every night of the tour, unless there was nowhere to hang it. But there usually mm. was, and so yeah, it dropped. It dropped as we kind of hit the downbeat of King of Sunset, Sunset Town, Town. I think. Yeah. In theory, in practice, yes. it used to drop about five <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> someone would always forget to let go of the string at the crucial moment. You know? it, it, it did seem a relatively analogue solution, <laughs> shall I say. <laughs> oh, God, we've made some dreadful decisions over the years. But, but you know, <laughs> there we are. <clears throat> and I'm assuming that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Did I it not quite have the impact you were hoping for? Ta-da! Um... I, I think, you know, one in every five gigs it actually did what you'd imagined it ought to do and the rest it was just a bit random. <laughs> We're back to Spinal Tap again where they couldn't get those pods open, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think, Maybe I think... you ought to try that, though, the pod the pod thing. Maybe you ought to try that. I could see, I could see you doing that. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I kind of deserve that yes. one. Now, apologies uh, to anyone who's offended. By bad language, but no, nobody. No, so, we're past that now. Occasionally, I just, I just have to go there. <laughs> so yeah, so tour carries on. Uh, like you say, you you disappear off to America, don't you? I believe so. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think there were quite a few dates. Oh, I tend, I, I think I remember Canada better, and I don't right. know why. Probably just because more things went wrong. Because that's what I remember. I remember the things that go wrong. You know, yeah. the the crowd around the bed or the. Um, I don't know if that was the tour or the one after where the weather was dreadful and, and uh, I just remember the guitar tech pouring vodka over the windscreen of the tour bus to de-ice it. De-ice it. Uh, he was hang, hanging out with the bottle of Smirnoff because <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> we had more vodka than we had de-icer. <laughs> Who'd been drinking the de-icer? <laughs> He was a, he was a, a, an umpteenth Dan Black Belt uh, karate uh, master, according to himself, um, and nobody was ever quite sure if it was true. But I do remember, I do, I do, I do remember remember that someone had said that he could walk on rice paper, and um, I do, I do remember him being drunk on the bus and doing the old faint and face plant and Mosley raising one eyebrow and go, he walks on rice paper, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose the final question about about that tour. (laughs) Stuart Uh, Monks, he was called Stuart Stuart Monks Monks. and we called him Stuart Rice Paper Monks (laughs) after after he'd fallen over that day. I suppose the last thing, really, uh, we tried to be quite sober for a moment. How quickly did it just feel um, really easy on stage? I mean, how how long did it take? Oh, I have no idea. I, I mean, I remember going on every night, um, trying to be humble, because I thought the worst thing I can do is 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 strut onto this stage like I'm a really big deal because, you know, I've just replaced the audience's favourite singer. So 
I'm going to have to um, just, you know, get on stage, sing as well as I can, um, give it everything I've got, but, you, you know, without try and minimise the, the slide into arrogance <laughs> um, because it'll alienate people. You know, mm. who the hell does he think he is? I, I didn't want anyone to think that, so I just I just got up and um, sang well, remained humble. I said, you know, didn't say much between songs other than it was great to be there and, uh, 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 and then... I don't know. After four or five songs, I would, I would make a short speech about being new, and um, and thank the you know thank the crowd if if the crowd needed thanking, I'd thank the crowd and 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 every everywhere we went, I was so welcomed, and that really knocked me out. Um, they did give me the benefit of the doubt. They. They kind of watched me with one eye shot for the first two or three songs, and then, and then you kind of sense the atmosphere in the room dissolve, you know, into one of relief um, that you know that I hadn't screwed up their favourite band, um, and that happened night after night. So mm. that was lovely, and I can't honestly remember at what point I felt totally comfortable it was probably a later tour than that it might mm. have been it, it was probably holidays in eden before i felt like i was owning it rather than um you know be, being being humble which which i felt i should mm. and that of course is going to i suppose as well long term it needed that mix of of, of more material that you'd been involved in the writing and recording of, I imagine, as well. So uh, that must get easier when you have three and four albums under your belt. Yeah, because then you're presenting your own stuff. Your own stuff. And you're doing your own thing. Um, I was always doing my own thing, but I, um, I was just very conscious of that first tour not, to compound it on the stage like I was a big deal because mm. um, I was very conscious of the fact that I'd just replaced everybody's favourite singer. Mm. Um, so to kind of strut onto the stage and own it um, would probably seem weird. Mm. It's, it's always a, a tricky one, isn't it? Um, mm. But there we are. I mean, you just do what you do. I, I mean, there was, there's no point in in using other artists, you know, other guys who've replaced famous lead singers. I, I tend not to th think think about that at all. I just do my thing in my own sweet way, and 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 hope that you know you 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 can only be yourself, really. Mm. I mean, I can't. I say I can't pass comics. I didn't see that 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 tour but certainly the christmas i mean the christmas gig that first christmas gig was different anyway with it being a christmas gig and you you played some of the holidays material uh and you you know it it, it felt like and of course you'd been in the band quite a while at that point so it just felt you know it felt completely normal plus i had no no history of seeing the band anyway um you know in it in its earlier earlier um guys but i mean certainly when if i think back to the holidays dates you know they felt that 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 felt totally, totally like you know. I mean, because if you think you're starting with splintering heart in there, and then you've got all these beautiful break points, the party was always a highlight, you know. But you just that just seemed like the most normal thing in the world. That was that was the band. Thinking back, I think I I think Seasons End was my favourite of mm. of all the early years, the the tour because. Quite simply, because every night um, there would be some ice to to melt, and yeah. every night it would melt, and 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 the feeling of 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 that happening was so uplifting for for the band and for me, and you know resulted in in the most precious moment 
arguably of my career, which was the the Paris Zenith show on that tour, where I made my little speech about uh, about being new, and the place just erupted and continued to erupt for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes while we all just stood there looking at each other, going, "What on earth's going on here?" You know, um, such a, 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 a show of of affection and love from a crowd as I've as I've barely, you know, I mean, I, it's hard for me to imagine it happening ever for anyone except that it happened for us on that particular night. And I think if you're an artist and you ever experience something like that, you truly are very lucky. Mm. And that seems a nice place to stop. So we'll st- we'll we'll stop and we'll disappear off for a bit of diary, uh, which is uh, Brave Tour, second part of the second leg of the UK Brave Tour. Yes. Um, and we're going back to your university town, aren't we? Yes, it's my birthday and mm. I'm in Nottingham um, and I have a little mooch around what used to be Trent Poly, which is now Trent Uni. And I go down to the Market Square to meet up with uh, Dizzy and the kids and that was, that was lovely. We'll start there then. Here it comes. Saturday, 14th of May, Nottingham Royal Centre. Staggered, bleary-eyed into the street next to the Royal Centre, Nottingham, just around the corner from the monstrous Newton building, where 20 years ago I was locked up studying electrical engineering. It was here at Trent Polytechnic that I first got my hands on a grand piano. I used to skip lectures whenever I could find the Bonington or Arkwright lecture theatres empty, in order to experiment with my newfound love banging out crude and uncertain copies of Keith Emerson's piano solos. Nothing's changed much here, and I trundled my suitcase past the poly, which now calls itself the City University, towards the Stachys Victoria, thanking my stars that all that was behind me. I had a few good days in Nottingham back then, but painfully few. I didn't fit in. Checked into the hotel, which is a bit of an old shit heap with middle-class pretensions, fur coat, no drawers, and went to bed to finish off something that might pass for a good night's sleep before getting up and going down to Nottingham's favourite rendezvous point, the Old Market Square, where I had arranged to meet Sue and the kids. We used to meet here back then when we were young lovers, and it seemed beautiful that we should meet again with our children in the sunshine of my birthday. It was a hot, sunny Saturday, and as I sat waiting, I was transported back to 1976 and the freak hot summer I enjoyed in this same spot. Ironically, we got off to a bad start. Niall was tired, hungry and crabby, and I began to wonder if we'd made a mistake in going to all this trouble. Sue had driven up from Banbury amid all the usual hassle, while I still had a show to do and could have done with relaxing. We eventually got him fed and off to sleep, and he later woke up his usual self, happy and smiley. Sophie was fine, and we started to have the day we'd hoped for. Walked over to the Arboretum and lay in the warm sunshine, dribbling ice creams and orange juices and getting through lots of baby wipes. Sophie was in her element among the flowers and enjoying the pleasures to be had, balancing and clanking along the park railings. Stopped at the birdhouse so that Niall could enjoy the cockatoos and budgies while I tried to explain to him why he couldn't go inside. Back at the venue, everything had stopped for the FA Cup final, where Priv's beloved Chelsea were to lose to Manchester United. I tried to keep out of his way. We all had a spot of dinner and catering. Sophie has taken a shine to Emma and Helen and was happily tucking into a roast dinner as Niall caused much amusement trying to blow bubbles with some bubble liquid. My birthday present from the cooks. 
They sat in at the sound check, clapping and blowing kisses, before Dizzy said bye-bye and returned home. I went back to the hotel for a bath and a 20-minute break before the show. I hit the stage in festive spirits and was determined to have a good time. And I did. The crowd were better than I remembered here from last tour. Bonnie from the fan club came on stage with a birthday cake and the band seemed to be enjoying themselves as much as I was. Afterwards, I waited until the truck was loaded and then shared out the cake and had a beer with the crew. Staggered back to my cruddy hotel with carrier bags full of presents, cards and yet another birthday cake. On closer inspection, I noticed that one card said, quote, My girlfriend really wants to fuck you. I'm surprised it wasn't a letter bomb. Sunday, 15th of May. Bristol, day off. Woke up and decided to complain. Had the duty manageress sent up to my room and showed her the rising damp in the bathroom and the generally grubby state of my room. Told her there wasn't enough staff on reception, that the lift didn't work and that I wasn't impressed. She said sorry and let me off my extras. Packed and realised I'd lost my seven silver bangles from Mexico. Tried the theatre and found they had been handed in by the cleaner. Thank you, Nottingham. Phew, it's almost worth the distress of losing stuff to have human goodness reaffirmed. Drove to Bristol, arriving at the Bristol Hilton around two, craving a roast dinner. They were doing one in the restaurant, so I took a table for one and had Sunday lunch before phoning home. Snoozed through the Monaco Grand Prix, which Schumacher seemed effortlessly to win once again. Thankfully no one was hurt during the race, although Wendlinger was in hospital after a serious crash during the qualifying rounds yesterday. Went out for a walk and found the Arnold Feeney Arts Centre, where I read the paper and had coffee. Nick had sorted me out with a suite, which was perhaps part birthday present and part compensation for yesterday. Thank you, Mr B. I had a nice view of the church and sat munching chocolate marzipans, birthday presents, and watching a documentary about these poor chaps in Indonesia who make a meagre living carrying sulphur rocks down from the summit of a volcano through rainforest to the factory at the base of the mountain. It's a 12-hour walk undergoing the enormous physical burden. I thanked my stars once again as I reclined in splendour, surrounded by tokens of people's affection. Lucky man. In the evening, I bumped into Brian, Emma and Helen, who invited me along with them to an Italian restaurant. I had caprese, chicken kiev and Peroni beer. When we got back, we went to the bar where I was quickly nosed off by some friend of the crew bus driver. Life's too short to listen to some people. I made an excuse and went up to bed. Monday, 16th of May. Bristol, Colston Hall. Got up and went off in search of a hairdresser's, a dry cleaner's and a bank. Found a three-hour cleaner's first and put a couple of shirts and my jacket in. Made my way to the NatWest Bank to change up my French leftover PDs. It turned out that one of my 200 franc notes was a forgery. The girl in the foreign exchange desk had to make a phone call to find out whether or not to have me arrested. Apparently, if it's foreign currency, they don't call the police. They just confiscate the forged notes and give you a receipt. Maybe our French promoter Gerard makes his own money. Everything's possible in this business. I later discovered that the cash had come to Nick from Cod, our merchandising man. Someone had been passing dots in exchange for T-shirts. Sorry, Gerard, I wasn't serious. Found a hairdresser's and got snipped before returning to the hotel. Left soon after soundcheck. Ian commented that I'd been wearing the same shirt for four days, asking, had it been washed? I was embarrassed into digging out a purple velvet horror with a big floppy collar, which I wore with pride for the rest of the day. 
The Colston Hall is a total cave, empty or full, so my sound was difficult, to say the least. Never mind. Returned to the hotel and went to bed. I enjoyed the show, so I must have been feeling good. I had vowed no more garden party intros after coming unstuck in Guildford. I showered at the venue and went down to the hospitality room to chat to Dave Gregory, renowned guitarist of XTC and all-round top man, who'd come over from Swindon. Dave said the sound was iffy, but thought the show went well. Most tactful, I thought. Tuesday, 17th of May. Birmingham Town Hall. Checked out at the Bristol Hilton. Most of the Hiltons are pretty iffy these days, but I would recommend this one. And drove round the corner to Temple Mead Station in order to have passport photographs done for the Japanese visas. Bought coffee at the station kiosk and asked the lady serving what the hours were like. You never know. Drove up to Birmingham with Steve R and Ian and got lost in Birmingham Centre. Everyone always does. Arrived at the Midland Hotel feeling decidedly peculiar, checked in and ordered a club sandwich. Paul, the porter who arrived with my suitcase, decided my room wasn't up to scratch and offered me four alternatives as I followed him up and down the corridor, somewhat surprised. They usually don't worry unless you complain. I thanked him, but decided against moving. The room seemed okay to me. I was still feeling quite sick at 4.30, so I told the boys I would see them at the town hall at 5.30, and I went to bed. Woke up an hour later feeling much better, and wandered down to the sound check. Found the catering girls not in the best of spirits for the first time this tour. Emma said she was depressed at the thought of leaving us. I think the catering company are splitting her up from boyfriend Brian, the cook, and partner in crime, Helen, so she's understandably down. Sound checked. Ouch. It's not a great room acoustically. Said hello to Morris Jones, our promoter here in the UK. He seemed subdued also. I could tell. He usually hits me if he's in good spirits. Everyone's a little confused about the ticket sales, which were much better than expected on the first leg of the UK tour, and are inexplicably low on the second leg. Maybe that's what's bothering him. I wandered back down the paved precinct to the Midland Hotel to pick up my toilet bag and return to the gig alone in what was turning out to be a very cold evening. I thought I'd take the opportunity to watch the whole of Wes's opening set, so I sat behind the PA on stage right, keeping my head down and listening to the spill from his monitors. My absence caused a stir. Nick B went wandering around Birmingham looking for me as no one had noticed me enter the building. I still had to abandon Wes before the end of his set in order to get tagged, wrapped and strapped for the show. I was feeling somewhat unsettled in the knowledge that a contingent from the village at home were in the audience. I wondered what they were making of the show nearly all the way through and found it impossible to focus my thoughts on the lyrics. Silly, really. After the show, I chatted with Phil Hendry, an early fan from the days of the Europeans, who'd brought his new girlfriend, no doubt to find out what all the fuss was about. It was cold outside and my hair was wet from the shower, so instead of getting caught in the street... I held court just inside the stage door while people filed in and out with things for me to sign. I felt a lot like one of those Santa Clauses in a department store. Walked back to the hotel with Nick and had a drink in the bar before retiring to bed. It was one of those bars where you can get into a fight by looking at someone. And we're back. Yeah. And we start off in Nottingham, um, the um, your your um, university, college, city, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was a bit of a mixed day, really. You weren't mad keen on the hotel, were you? No, it doesn't look like I was. No, I think there was damp in the bathroom, and I think it was just generally shabby and dirty. And I, I, I don't. I mean, I 
I can cope with that if the people are nice. But I don't, I don't think they were very nice either. And, of course, those things tend to go together because, you know, establishments who don't care usually don't care. Um, so uh, they do go together. And so then I kicked off when I checked her and said, and they let me off my extras, which was the main point of kicking off. Yeah. You know, because in those days you'd always have to use the phone in the hotel and they would always rip you off. You'd, you'd get on the phone for five minutes and they'd give you a bill for 35 quid. Yeah. Um, so getting out of your extras was something... It was worth the effort. <laughs> if you could think of a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so if the hotel helps, it's, you know, helps by being generally woeful. <laughs> that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a nice moment. Exactly. Yes. It gives you a good, good chance to <clears throat> kick off. But the the family the family had toddled along and you'd had a few hours with the family because it had been your birthday, mm. um, and and then the evening ended with a slightly surreal birthday card experience. Oh well, it was only a detail. Um, I, I, I'm I don't know why I mentioned it really. I, I was obviously amused. No, somebody just said my girlfriend wants to fuck you in a in a car. I don't know whether he meant that as a birthday present <laughs> or whether it was just a general just, comment. Just a general. <laughs> I, either way, makes you nervous, you know. Yeah. A bit like when I got handed the bra. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you always think, oh, what am I going to do here? Um, this I just could, thought this, back to the bra being warm. This, that was the, that's this, <laughs> this could go either way. You yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I believe at that point in time, Nottingham was also the centre of knife crime in the UK. So that's a, <laughs> that adds a, an extra dimension to it. Yes, and letter bombs were happening a lot on the news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any of those things could have occurred. But Happy didn't. birthday, you bastard! <laughs> Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh. Um, the other thing that comes out because because those few days are quite. I mean, I don't know. It came across when I read it a little bit flat. Um, but you said in pre maybe that's because you'd said in a previous bit that sales for the second half of the tour had been a little bit flatter, and the first half had been really really good, and the second half had been a, you know the venues had been a little bit quieter and what have you. So the diary did read a, slightly flat, really, or, or when I read it, it might be, if I read it again, I'd probably think about it totally differently. Um, but the other bit that sticks out is you trying to trying to pass bad notes. Oh, again, yeah. And I, that used to happen from time to time, and it was usually on account of um, you'd get what are called PDs, which stands for per diems, which is uh, a few quid that the tour manager gives you um, when you're on the road for your, um, you know, for your lunch or or whatever. If you um, if you've got any sort of on the road expenses that are reasonable, uh, not buying yourself gifts or anything, but but just to have lunch or whatnot, they usually give you a few quid each day. And they give you it in cash and that cash has usually made its way to the tour manager from the guy who sells the T-shirts. And so there's always a sprinkling of, of dodgy money in in there because your your dodgy fans have been handing on <laughs> dodgy notes in exchange for T-shirts and you end up with it. Um, and then... You, you know, if if you if you're back in England and you're taking it to the bank to change up into pounds, they tend to spot those things, mm. and then you think, "Oh, am I going to get arrested? I hope not. <laughs> I hope they don't come asking questions." <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just think, you know, it's, it's the way it's just part of your day. You know, get me dry cleaning, have my hair done, pass some bad notes. <laughs> Yeah, move on. It's just, it's just, it's just what I do. Well, yeah, well, I've said this before, but but w w times in my life when I've spent a lot of time touring and then come back, um, come back home, I've I've not been in the real world for several days, and it, no. and it was quite difficult to interface with the world. You know, you, you go to the supermarkets and forget to pay for things because everything was always free on tour. 
and it just takes you a couple of brushes with the law to settle back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose at least it wasn't, you know, glue that you were buying. But uh, you, know, you, used to, you also used to be surrounded by people who think you're great. That's mm. always a shock as well when you get back mm. into the real world. People just people don't think you're great anymore, no. and, it, and uh, that takes a bit of handling. You you know the misses for a kickoff. Well, yeah, the, and the kids. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the family normally does it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always a bit of a, a shock to the system <laughs> all round. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, it's been a nice little stroll, um, and it's been a nice little stroll through. We, we've done, oh, that must be four weeks, we've kind of been talking about bits of season's end. But it really was it really was a fairly full-on year, wasn't it? Do you, do you remember the year fairly clearly compared with, does it stick out any more than others? No. Okay, no, there we have it. Um, you know, the, the making that first record at Hooken sticks out um, because that was truly lovely. And it was a moment in time, and I wrote drilling holes about that as well, and making the making the balloons and flouncing around in the big shirt and everything was was just really pleasant. And occasionally jumping into a car or being driven um, to Henley and flouncing around Henley a bit, and then going back to the manor house. You know, you flounce around Henley, knowing that you were then going to go back to this wonderful, to a manor house. wonderful yeah. house. Uh, so I've just felt I did feel like Lord Byron, you know. I felt like a royalty or royalty from another age, even better than royalty, because royalty have to do shit, don't they? And I didn't have to do anything uh, except be royal. <laughs> so it was terrific. Um, I remember that really well. I remember making the Easter video because it was so cold and it was a different experience being out there on the causeway. I remember the uninvited guest video because my legs were dangling and squashing my testicles for 12 hours. That was memorable. I went and went getting back from there to somebody else being asleep in my bed in the hotel at three in the morning. You you tend to remember all those things, all those things, yeah. rather than necessarily the shows, unless they're so incredible, which Paris Zenith was. Um, then you remember that, and I, and I remember the lovely because um, that's in the diary, isn't it? The 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 lovely Halcyon Hotel, Richard Harris's mm. hotel in 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 Notting Hill, which uh, was was just lovely i used to love to stay to stay there uh because it was a it was so damn posh and b everybody was so damn cool mm. uh, and uh, richard harris had had um taken over ownership of that hotel and personally supervised it to be the kind of place he wouldn't get thrown out of and <laughs> 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 and so, as you can imagine, it was perfect for rock and roll. <laughs> Did you have any idea at that time? Had you got an idea in your head how long you thought it might last? I remember Stuart Arnold at Rondor saying, well, what, you know, th this is a major leg up. Give it three or four years and you do what you want. It'll give you a um, it'll give you a, a sort of position and a profile to move on. That that that's what he said. But um, you know, when I when once I was in the band and settled into the band, I I realised, of course, that a they're such cool guys, cool, moral, caring people, and you can't take that for granted. And b I was given from the word go this carte blanche, more or less, creatively, to do my thing. No one's ever told me what to do or not do. Well, maybe, maybe once. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we'll end. We'll end forty-eight then with the fact that it looks like you're in the band and you're going to be hanging around for a while. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I passed the audition. Passed the audition. <laughs> but but we we swept onto the difficult second album at that mm. point, and it was it was a difficult one. Mm. Well, do you know what? I know, and we are. It means we are running a little bit linear, but I think there's probably something in that. I think we we ought to perhaps carry on the the conversation because we've done quite a bit on Brave, and at some point we need to move out into other bits. But I think we ought to to pick up on on you know that because yeah, you're right. There was there was bits at the start of that you've talked a little bit about that in in previous pods. So I think we'll move on and we'll talk a little bit about you know uh, the come down from season's end and and and. and working your way through holidays i think that'd mm. be a uh, so we'll perhaps do that next week um and then maybe take a break from this section of time and move on to a a different a different point i was listening to it just yesterday because there's um a, a new luxury package coming um mm. of holidays in eden from warners and it's been um mixed by stephen taylor who um has done a lot of work with kate bush mixed all her live stuff and worked with them live, and he's done all sorts of stuff, but he's he's fabulous. Brothers dug him out from somewhere and said, what about this guy, he's terrific. And he has been terrific. And I was, I was listening to his his mixes just yesterday, and they're sounding fantastic. And mm. it's a good album, Holidays in Eden. It's a great album. You know, um, took us a while to get there. And it's... You know, some people think it's our pop album or whatever they want to call it, but uh, it's it's a good collection of songs, I think. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. I've never understood, you know, and I think it's a, it's a great collection of songs. I also like the, uh, I've always, always liked the the B-sides as well that were floating around at the, the time. Right. Um you know, so I think it's a uh, well. We'll 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 get on to that next week, right. and in the meantime, we need to we need to do an odds. We need to do an odds and sodcast. Oh. So we'll we'll hit stop and have a have a break and start again. Okie dokie. Wee bit for the purples. All right. All right. Yes. In, in which case, I'll see you for TCD next week, but I'll see really I'll see you in a few seconds for odds. Okay, see you next week, but in a few seconds, really. Okay, yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you, my friends. Thank you, Mario Klingenberg. Thank you, Andy Wells and Ian Kinnear. Thank you very much. Thank you, Martin Koska and Phil Kelly. And thank you, Seth Rapkins and William Cole as well. Ain't it great to be purple? Thank you, everybody who's purple. If you're only roots, thanks for that too. That's quite alright Thank you for subscribing 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 We only talk rubbish So we're really grateful I'll croon you next week If I'm able if I'm able Yeah 
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.